verses 1, 2, and 3. I will probably reference quite a few passages today. I will go through them pretty quickly, so I might hit on them and and move on. If if you're not able to turn to them or catch them when I say them, please let me know afterwards. I'll be glad to print out all the passages that I used for you to go back and study in context. I would always encourage you to not take my word for anything, but to always take God's word for it. But today we're going to talk a little bit about the dwelling place of God. What is the dwelling place of God? Where is the dwelling place of God? Why is that significant? What was the significance of that in the Old Testament? And what is the significance to that in the New Testament? This is a topic that I've I've been kind of thinking about in some way since last week. Somebody asked me my thoughts on heaven, and it it kind of led me to this topic. And I said, you know, we'll talk about this. This will be a good a good topic for us to preach on and talk about. And so we're going to start in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3. Then we'll pray after we read it. Jesus is speaking here in this passage, by the way. Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for these words. We thank you for these words of assurance that Jesus gave to his disciples and give to us, dear Lord. God, we pray that we would long for the day that we can be with you in a place free of all the junk that we got to put up with here. God, I pray that you would bless this time in your word, dear Lord. God, I pray that you would help us to be free of worries and distractions. I pray that in these few minutes we would hear from you. God, I pray that you would be our God and we would be your people. And God, if there is one here today that is not yours, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them that they would repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ, God, so that we may dwell with you for all of eternity. God, take away any nerves I have or any pride I have, dear Lord, that you just would help me to be humble and trust you and rely on you, God. There is no good that can come from me. There is no good that can come to us today through this sermon, dear Lord, if we don't trust you. So God, help us to humble ourselves before you, dear Lord, that your spirit would do the work. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have heard John 14 before, even if you've never read it. If you've gone to a funeral, it is likely that you have heard John 14. Uh, John 14 is used pretty frequently in in funerals, and, and I believe rightly so. I think there is a lot of good encouragement for us to know that one day Jesus will come back for us, that those who are his, no matter what we go through, no matter what we see in this world, even when we take our last breath, we know that the Lord will come for us. And when the Lord comes for us, those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will be in a better place. And I think we see that in this passage. I think there's good assurance of that in this passage. And Jesus says, your heart must not be troubled. Okay, this is, this, is, this is why this is good comfort for us, especially in a time of loss, 
when those that we love have left this world, it's good for us to know that we need not be troubled. Why? Because if they have put their faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus will not leave them in the ground for all of eternity. That is not the end of their life. That is the beginning of their life, the beginning of their eternal life, because Jesus will come for them. And he says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And if Jesus prepares that place, he says, I will come back to you. Now, verse 2 is a beautiful verse, and sometimes perhaps maybe we get the wrong impression from the language that's used in some translations. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. Now, if you have a King James or a New King James, it will say, in my Father's house are many mansions. And it's unfortunate that the King James translators chose the word mansion there because that's not really, that really doesn't show us and tell us what the original word in the text spoke of. Now, some of your translations may say room or may say dwelling place. Probably the best translation there is dwelling place. Uh, we see the word there in the Greek, and the word is monet, not to be confused with the painter, but the Greek word is monet. And so far as I can tell, this word only appears two times in all of the New Testament. And both of those instances occur here in John chapter 14. Once here in John chapter 14, verse 2, and then again in John chapter 14, verse 23. And in verse 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. Now, the word home there, or whatever your translation may say, is the same word. Dwelling place is probably the best translation in both of those, both of those instances. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. So we need to determine what the house of God is in Scripture, I think, to really understand what Jesus is saying here and why it is significant to us. And so when we see the house of God in the Old Testament, typically we are speaking of the tabernacle or the sanctuary or the temple. We may see that type of language. When we, when we see the house of God in the Old Testament, that's typically the way in which we see it. Now, in the Old Testament, this is, this is where the priest would go in. Now, originally it was the tabernacle. It was a place where the priest would go. It was a place where sacrifices would take place. And this was necessary for God's people. It's necessary for us too, not in a tabernacle, but through Jesus. But we have the same problem as God's people in the Old Testament. We are sinners, and our sins need to be atoned for. And so the tabernacle was a necessary place. It was a place of atonement for sins. And more importantly, it was a place that was the dwelling of God. Now, in Genesis, we see that God walks with Adam and Eve. That's what God wants is a relationship with humanity, with Adam and Eve and still with you and I today. God desires to walk with us. God desires to dwell with us. And that's part of the reason while there's a tabernacle, it was needed in the Old Testament. It was where God dwelt with the people. God's presence would come in the tabernacle. Now, God was not limited to the tabernacle. God is everywhere. But for God to dwell with the people, for there to be atonement, there had to be this system that God was going to set in place until a better system would come. Praise the Lord, a better system came in Jesus Christ. But in Exodus 25, verse 8, 
God tells the people, they are to make a sanctuary so that I may dwell among them. Okay, so we see here what the purpose for the sanctuary was, the tabernacle, that God may dwell among his people. Now, pay attention to the language that we see in the Old Testament and what we see here in the New Testament. In John chapter 14, verse 2, in my Father's house are what? Are many dwelling places. And we will see more examples of dwell and dwelling as we go. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 11. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. Now, what's the context here? Well, David wanted to build a temple for the Lord. David, obviously, was a, was, had plenty of, of wealth and, and, and materials at his disposal. He was a man of God. He was the king of Israel. And David says, I'm going to build a temple for the Lord. But the Lord sends word through Nathan to David, hold up. I didn't ask for any temple. I didn't ask you to build me a temple. I've been traveling around in this tabernacle for all these years. I've never asked that you build a house for me. And oddly enough, God says, the Lord himself will make a house for you, a house for David. Now, that's, that's interesting language. And indeed, he did make a house for David. We see the term used for the descendants of David uh, throughout the Old Testament, uh, the house of David, those who are descendants for David. Not, not, that, not that David was going to make a place for the Lord to come, but the Lord was going to make a place for David to go through the house of David, through the descendants of David. Now, eventually, there would be a temple of God built. Now, this is not what God commanded. God doesn't need a temple, as we will see as we read. But all still, David had, a, he had the right heart. He wanted to get God a, a building. He wanted to get him a place that wasn't just a tent. He wanted a solid, beautiful building. And, uh, and God granted that request, even though it wasn't necessary. But he said, look, you're not going to do it, David. Your, your son is going to do it. And then... Uh, 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 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, Solomon, after he built the temple and is praying and dedicating it to God, it says this, But will God indeed live on earth? Even heaven, the highest heaven, cannot contain you, much less this temple I have, I have built. Now, Solomon here built the temple, but even Solomon understood at the building of this temple, this was not... This could not contain God. This was not good enough for God. He was bigger than the temple. He didn't dwell in the temple. He dwelt in heaven. And so even though they built this temple, even though we saw the tabernacle, even though we see the temple, uh, we know that God is bigger than the temple, but we also know that the purpose for all of this in the Old Testament is that God would dwell with his people. And this is significant. We see more language like that that Solomon used in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 1. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house could you possibly build for me and what place could be my home? Now, here, same kind of language we just saw. God doesn't need building. There's nothing that we can build for God that is good enough for God. But even when Solomon built the temple, it was, it was pointing us to Jesus Christ. Now, when we go back and we read in Samuel about David's desire to build a temple, God tells him about one who's coming after that will build his temple. I will be his father and he will be my son. Now, we have to say in the context, based on some other language in there, that it's certainly speaking about Jesus who is to come. But we know from the book of Hebrews 
uh, or excuse me, it's talking about Solomon, but we also know that it's talking about Jesus who is to come because we see that passage quoted in the book of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, speaking of Jesus, for which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Now, in the context of God revealing to David about Solomon building the temple, we can see that those passages applied to Solomon, but the author of Hebrews showed us that this, that this language applies to Jesus as well. And so as we see these passages of David and Solomon, we see this idea of building God a house, but as we also look at the rest of the Old Testament, it's not the, it's not the building or the house that matters. It was necessary in the Old Testament because that's how God would dwell with the people. That's how sins would be atoned for. But a house cannot contain God, not a physical building. That's not what contains God. And so those aren't all the references to the house of God, of course, in the Old Testament, but those are some of the references to the house of God to help us understand the purpose he wanted to dwell and to help us understand that, that really the house is insignificant. God doesn't need a house, even though there was a tabernacle and a temple that was built. But as we flip over into the New Testament, we continue to see some of these passages references, and, and, and we begin to see somewhat of a shift from what the house of God is. In Acts chapter 7, verse 48, this is Stephen. This is a beautiful chapter, by the way. If you've never read Acts chapter 7, you need to read it. He, was, he comes and he makes a strong argument about everything in the Old Testament that leads right up to Jesus. And a lot of the problem for the Jewish people in the Scriptures is they wanted to live by the law of Moses and they wanted to live by the old ways. And Stephen is trying to point them toward, hey, don't, don't worry about these old ways. They're, they're pointing to, to a better one. All these things in the Old Testament point us to Jesus. And in that sermon... Uh, Stephen uses this language in Acts 7, 48. However, the Most High does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. This is important. Why? Because the people of Jesus' day loved the sanctuary. They loved the temple. They loved the house of God. And we see in Matthew 23, when Jesus is preaching pretty hot and heavy to the Jewish people, he says, your house will be left to you desolate. Now, I think Jesus is, is, is prophesying there what's going to take place not long after. Uh, not long after those words, I say not long, uh, about 40 years, give or take a little bit after, the temple was destroyed. Uh, Jerusalem was destroyed. And the house that the Jewish people loved so much uh, was going to be left to them desolate. Well, that's probably the mindset that Stephen has as he writes these words. And what's the point is that, that he is making is God does not dwell in sanctuaries made with hands. This is a theme that we begin to see throughout the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the house of God, it was a building. It was a sanctuary. It was a, it was a temple. But that's not what we see when we see the language house of God in the New Testament. Now, I'm not saying that we don't see some references to the house of God that speak of the temple. We certainly do. But we begin to see a shift after the time of Jesus, and I would say during the time of Jesus. I would begin to say even in John 14, Jesus, in the language that he uses there, where he says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, I believe that Jesus is pointing to something greater than the temple that is going to come, a greater dwelling place than the temple that was standing at the time that Jesus spoke. In John 
chapter 1, verse 14. Continuing on, we talked about God desiring to dwell with the people in the Old Testament, that that was God's command, build a sanctuary, build this tabernacle so that I may dwell among you. Well, we see this same language in the New Testament. God's desire is still to dwell among us. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and took up residence, or some of your translations will say, dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Okay, so what was God's desire in the Old Testament? To dwell among the people. And how did God accomplish that in a, in, in a, in a miraculous and beautiful way? Through Jesus Christ. Jesus was the Word and became flesh. And what did Jesus do? He dwelt among us. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was God. And Jesus dwelt among us in the flesh. Now that's pretty phenomenal. Can you, can you imagine what it would have been like in those days for the people of God to be in the presence of Jesus Christ? I mean, what a phenomenal thing that God in the Old Testament had dwelt with people through the tabernacle, through the temple. But here in Jesus Christ, he dwelt among us in the flesh. And so we see this theme, we see this idea that God has been carrying on through the Old Testament into the New Testament through Jesus Christ. Now, when we see the house of God in the New Testament, it sometimes refers to the temple of God. That's clear even of Jesus. He uses that type of language. In Luke chapter 2, verse 49, Jesus had had disappeared from his family. They had left him, and they realized after they got on the road that he wasn't with them, they went back to try to find him, and they found him in the temple. And it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 49, Why were you searching for me, he asked them. Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Now, this is quite literally the temple. The, the house of God was the temple. In the Old Testament, the house of God was the temple. In the New Testament, the house of God is the temple. And, and here's a literal use where the house of God was that physical place. Uh, again, in John chapter 2, uh, verse 16, Jesus went in uh, to those who were selling and, and, and not respecting the temple. And it says in John 2, verse 16, He told those who were selling doves, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And so we see a couple of references here early on uh, in Jesus' life and in Jesus' ministry where he does talk about the house of God. That's because the house of God, the temple of God, was still there in the time of Jesus. But I think in John chapter 14 that Jesus is pointing us to a better house. As stated in Mark, uh, Matthew 23, at the end of that chapter, Jesus said, your house will be left to you desolate. And indeed it was, that temple was destroyed. What made the temple significant is that's where the sacrifices were made. And when Jesus died on the cross, the Lord tore the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the, of the temple area, the place where the high priest would go once and for all, one time a year, excuse me, to uh, offer sacrifices. And when Jesus died on the cross, that temple was no longer necessary. It was useless. There would never be another sacrifice offered in a temple that would be of any significance to the salvation and the forgiveness of sins for humanity. And so God tore the veil down. There's no more separation because it was God who would dwell with the people in that way. But now there's a new way that God is going to dwell with the people 
through Jesus Christ. The veil has been torn. Jesus is the high priest who has entered the holy and holy, holy of holies once and for all to offer the perfect sacrifice. And so we see that shift at the, at the death of Jesus Christ, a shift that God himself initiates by tearing the curtain of the holy of holies. And so if the tabernacle is no longer necessary for God's people to dwell with his people, if the temple is no longer the dwelling place of God's people, if the tabernacle is no longer the house of God and the temple is no longer the house of God, but God still desires to dwell with his people, what is the house of God? Well, thankfully, the scripture is pretty clear. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and the Spirit of God lives in you? You are the house of God. I am the house of God. That is, of course unless we have not put our faith in Jesus Christ. We are the place that God desires to dwell. We don't have to go to a tabernacle. We don't have to go to a temple where God's dwelling is because when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus dwells in us. That's what we see in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come and make our home, our dwelling place, with him. Isn't that fantastic that today we come and God dwells in us? That's great. That's good news today. We, we, we don't gather here today in the house of God. We gather here today as the house of God. You are the house of God if you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ. And so in John chapter 14, verse 2, when Jesus says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places, I think he's referring to Christians, to followers of God. Those who follow Jesus Christ, I believe that we are the house of God. And indeed, if we are the house of God, there are many dwelling places. You're a dwelling place, you're a dwelling place, you're a dwelling place, you're a dwelling place. There are many dwelling places in the house of God. Those who put their faith in Jesus are the house of God, and God dwells in us. And the scripture is pretty clear, as we just saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Should we need further proof? Well, the New Testament has plenty of proof to support this idea. Because after Jesus comes, when we see the New Testament writers begin to speak of the temple or begin to speak of the house of God, we begin to see that it is applied to followers of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 17. When the Messiah came, he proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Now that's uh, probably a reference to the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, uh, those who were near were God's people that Jesus came to save, even though many of them rejected him. But even those who were far away, uh, God says, hey, everybody can come into the kingdom through Jesus Christ. And so the promise of peace uh, is good to those who were close, the Jews, and to the Gentiles who were far away. Verse 18, for through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, same language there. Who is he speaking of? He's speaking of followers of Jesus Christ. He's speaking of those who are Christians. Everybody can 
Come into God's household. What's required? How do you get in? You put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you can enter into the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. There's a language we see in the New Testament. Who is the cornerstone of the building? It's Jesus Christ. We're talking about a spiritual building here. It's not like there's somewhere in the world, a temple, in which Jesus Christ has taken the form of a stone and this temple is built. No, this language is applied to us, to the believers. We are the household of God, and that household, spiritually speaking, is built on Jesus who has paid it all. And so we are built on him. We hear the message that was, that was continued to be preached by the apostles after Jesus Christ. Jesus was the cornerstone. The apostles continue to preach the good news. And what does that do? It builds us into the household of God. Verse 21, the whole building, again, reference, household of God being referred to as a building. The whole building being put together by him grows into a holy sanctuary in the Lord. You also are being built together for God's dwelling in the Holy Spirit. There's that same type of language. We see this, this house language. We see this building language. We see this dwelling place language. The Old Testament, it's the, uh, the uh, tabernacle. It's the temple. And the New Testament, who is this applied to? It's applied to a people, not a building. And we are the building being put together into the holy sanctuary of the Lord. The sanctuary is where the Lord dwelt in the Old Testament, in the physical tabernacle, in the physical temple. In the New Testament, we are the sanctuary that is God's dwelling place through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, same type of language. You yourselves are living stones being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The Old Testament, there was a physical house. The Old Testament, there were physical priests. The Old Testament, there were physical sacrifices. But now we have a shift after Jesus Christ. After God has torn the veil, there is a shift that has taken place. And we, it says uh, in 1 Peter 2, 5, are living stones built into what kind of house? A spiritual house. For a what? A holy priesthood. Okay? The priesthood is not the same as it was in Jesus' day. We too are priests. We too offer sacrifices, but not, not physical sacrifices. We offer spiritual sacrifices. We praise the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord. We are obedient to Jesus Christ. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. That is the house of God. That is what we are being built into. So there's a difference between the house of God in the Old Testament and the house of God in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. But if I should be delayed, I have written so that you will know how people ought to act in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So Paul's giving some instruction here. What is his instruction? I have written to you so that you will know how people ought to act in God's household. He's not saying this is how you need to act when you go into a building. He's saying that Christians should act a certain way. This is Christians that he's writing to. I'm writing this to you so that you will know, household of God, how you should be acting. And what is the household of God? It is the church of the living God. Not so much the building, but us. We are the church. 
You could take this building, you could burn it to the ground, and we could come sit anywhere in this world on any spot of land, and we would still be the church. We would still be the people of God. We would still be the house of God. If there wasn't a single piece of wood, a single nail, or a single shingle, we are, brothers and sisters in Christ, the house of God. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, But Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that household if we hold on to the courage and the confidence of our hope. We are the house of God if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ. If our hope is in Jesus Christ, we are the household of God. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. Jesus says, we will come and make our dwelling place, we will come and make our home with you. Those who put their faith in Jesus, those who repent of their sins, those who accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, once you do that, you are the house of God. You are the dwelling place of God. This is what God has wanted from the get-go. And He's accomplished it in a beautiful way through Jesus Christ. But only partially. Only partially because God dwells with us once we come to Jesus Christ. God dwells with you today if you have come to Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. But that's not the fullness of God's dwelling. And we will see that in a more perfect way when we are with God for all of eternity. Revelation chapter 21. We'll start in verse 1. Revelation 21 verse 1. John had seen his crazy visions and things that were going on. This is toward the end of the book of Revelation. And it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea no longer existed. I also saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. <clears throat> Perfection in the way that God intended for his plan to come together. It finally has come together, or will come together. When that day comes, and the new heaven and the new earth, regardless of what your interpretation of those passages are, the point is this. When that day comes... God's dwelling will be with humanity and God will be their God and those who put their faith in Jesus Christ will be God's people. Finally, what God desired from the Garden of Eden, from the Genesis chapter 1, it takes all the way to Revelation chapter 21 to see it come to fruition. And God still desires to dwell with His people today and one day He will dwell with those who are His for all of eternity. But the question is, is that you? Are you a dwelling place of the Lord today? If you ask God to forgive your sins through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, as you put your faith in Jesus Christ today, is your home a home of Satan? Is Satan dwelling in your dwelling place? Or is your home a home for the Lord? Does the Lord dwell within you today? Jesus does not want us to be troubled. 
He wants us to know that a place has been prepared for us. A place in the presence of God. A place where God will dwell in us and we will dwell with God. And we see that partially here today. But God wants us to experience that fully in the day that we all are with Him. I hope today that it can be said of you that the Lord dwells in you. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you. We thank you for your good words. God, we thank you that we do not have to pop up a tent and carry it with us everywhere to go for you to be with us. We thank you we don't have to build an elaborate temple and keep it stocked with animals for sacrifice. God, we thank you for doing away with all of that stuff and providing a better way. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that to dwell with you, dear Lord, we don't have to travel to Jerusalem. But God, all we have to do is seek you. Because God, you are there. When we seek you, we will find you. God, those who are yours, God, when we call to you, you're there. You're in us. You're with us, dear Lord. So thank you for being one who dwells in us, God. As your house, dear Lord, let us be those who live like your house. Let us be those who recognize that we are built on the cornerstone of Jesus. God, maybe there are some in here today and they've been building their life on things of the world, dear Lord. That's a, that's a stone that will crumble. But dear Lord, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ will never crumble. So God, I pray that if there is one that has not put their faith in Jesus today, that they would come to you, that they would repent. God, today that it may be said of them that you have prepared a place for them. That they are in your household, dear Lord, that you dwell among them. God, maybe there are some here today and, and they're already yours. Maybe there's things on their heart, things in their life they need to repent of, they need to confess. Maybe they just need to praise you, dear Lord. Maybe things are good. God, maybe we just need to praise you today. We thank you for dwelling in us and dwelling with us. And God, help us to look to the future with the hope of the day that we will dwell with you and you will be our God and we will be your people through Jesus Christ. And I ask these, name, these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.